0: Okay, wait, wait, just a second. I got to plug this. It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 156 for August 16th, 2009. If you're a photographer who's been involved with cameras as a hobby or professionally for very long, the name Tiffin will be one that rings a bell. Tiffin has manufactured filters for cameras from the ubiquitous skylight and UV filters to warming and cooling filters, filters to balance tungsten film to daylight or daylight film to tungsten, polarizing filters, fog filters, star filters, and that's just scratching the surface figuratively. You don't want to do that with the filter. If you have an SLR-type camera, or even some of the point-and-shoot cameras that take add-on filters, you should have a filter in front of the lens, a UV filter or a skylight filter. doesn't really affect the image very much, but it does protect your lens. That's one of the reasons it's put there. With the advent of digital photography, some of the filters, such as the ones that perform warming, cooling, and color matching, are no longer necessary. Those settings are controlled inside the camera or in Photoshop or some other application. If you start with a raw image, it's quite easy. So what's a company like Tiffin to do? Well, they've developed a $100 application that takes the place of several thousand dollars worth of glass filters, and it also does some things that no glass filter ever could do. If you go out to buy a new hammer, everything tends to start looking like a nail, so it's important to start using a tool such as Tiffin DFX with care. When you need the filter to make a particular statement with an image, use it. But don't use it indiscriminately. Although TIFF and DFX can open raw images from most cameras, you won't be able to see a preview unless you use some other program in conjunction with DFX. Opening a file simply calls the Windows Explorer, and that application cannot show thumbnails of raw files. If you shoot JPEG images, you can have Explorer show thumbnails. Another shortcoming involves how to pass the results of TIFF and DFX on to another application. Files may be saved only in two formats, JPEG and TIFF, not the raw format, or PSD, or DNG, the digital negative format. With luck, those options will be available in a future release. The only viable option if you plan to do additional processing is TIFF. Those limitations apply only to the standalone product, the $100 product. For an extra $200, you can purchase a version that acts as a plug-in for Photoshop or Aperture, or you can pay $600 if you want a version that works with After Effects or Avid. Amateur photographers will probably choose the standalone version, but professionals will appreciate the time savings they'll release by having the filters available inside Photoshop, Aperture, After Effects, and Avid. On the TechBiter worldwide website this week are some images. The actual images are going to be very large. I converted them from TIFF where they're 30 to 50 megabytes to JPEG, but the size and quality are sufficient for you to judge the overall quality of the filter. That means the file sizes are big, so if you're on dial-up, well, I'm sorry. One of the Tiffin glass filters that I love to use is a polarizing filter because depending on the angle of the sun and the direction I point the camera, a polarizing filter can turn a wimpy light blue sky into a beautiful dark blue that more accurately represents what my eyes saw. I expected not to be very impressed with the DFX polarizing filter which is applied after the fact, not in the camera. Boy, was I ever wrong. And the digital polarizing filter does things that no glass filter could ever do. I was able to turn the sky red. Maybe something you'd see on another planet. And it took just seconds. Creating a view with a red sky in the darkroom would be extremely difficult using a film and camera type operation. In the digital age, this kind of trick is pretty easy. The next image I wanted to take a look at was one that I took at last year's Via Calori. It's an okay image as it is, an artist on the ground, on the road, drawing in chalk, but I thought perhaps a more desaturated, airy image might work better. And I thought the image should be cropped a bit to eliminate some of the extraneous objects in the image. Feet, for example. I used both desaturation and fog effects. They're subtle, but I like the result of using them. As you probably already know, I am owned by an orange cat. I have a picture of him on this week's TechBiter Worldwide website. The original image, the way it came from the camera, made the orange cat kind of a tan cat. He's not tan. He's orange. He's bright orange. I selected the special effects enhancing and the enhancing red 5 preset. Voila. Orange cat. In addition to the presets, Tiffin DFX allows the user to specify precise settings. So this allows me to create an image that represents my orange cat as a very orange cat, the way he actually appears in real life. The image is much more accurate than the one the camera recorded. Hollywood producers sometimes need night scenes, but trying to photograph any scene at night is somewhere between difficult and impossible. So instead, cinematographers have developed techniques that allow them to shoot during the day, modify the exposure and the color balance, and make the image appear to have been shot at night. I decided I'd like to give that a try with an image of a flamingo that I took at the Columbus Zoo. The image was created inside a building during the day and with supplemental flash to fill in the shadowed areas. Tiffin's day-for-night filter produced the kind of image that would easily pass for a night view. And that's just a very quick summary of a few of the features of Tiffin DFX. Bottom line, four cats, Tiffin understands photography, so DFX is a tool that every professional will need and every amateur will want. If DFX could preview raw images... And save intermediate images, either as digital negatives or Photoshop files, instead of TIFF, it would easily earn five cats. Even so, DFX packs a lot of power into a package that can cost as little as $100. For more information, you'll want to visit the tiffin website, and there's a link to that website from, you guessed it, the TechBiter Worldwide website. <music> I haven't dissected a stupid spam of the week for a while, so this seemed like a good time to cast a jaundiced eye on a message from the United Parcel Service of America. This appears to be a conflation of the United Parcel Service and the United States Postal Service. The instant I saw the message in my spam catcher, I of course knew it was a fraud and there were several reasons. First, I hadn't sent any UPS packages recently. Then the message's claimed return address was ShieldsLaw.com instead of either USPS, the Postal Service, or UPS. And the tracking number, since this is supposed to be a UPS package, the tracking number began with a V. I thought everybody knew that all UPS tracking numbers begin with a Z. Come on, guys, make it a little more challenging than this. Messages from UPS do not, as a rule, come from someone called Cornell Gilbert, whose name and email address appear to have been misappropriated by spammers. Neither Cornell nor ShieldsLaw.com, assuming it exists, which it appears not to, were involved in the spam attack. I cautiously opened the message in my spam catcher. The address is wrong. I haven't used Bill.blin at 610Tech.net for three years. Additionally, I suspect that UPS would not begin a message with, Dear customer! UPS, when it sends advisories, provides links to its website, not zip files. And if I'm supposed to collect the package at the UPS office, I think UPS might want to tell me which office it is. The United States is a relatively large country with a lot of UPS offices, but of course I already knew it was a fraud. So I thought I'd take a look at the message's routing headers to see where it came from. The message originated at IP address 21874247149, which is in China, and it was routed via redcondor.net, which is in Roanert Park, California. Red Condor may be an innocent victim or a willing collaborator. The attachment is a zip file, so I thought I'd see what AVG antivirus thought of it. The zip file itself isn't seen as harmful, but what's inside? That was my next question. So I opened the file with UltraEdit to confirm that it is indeed just a plain zip file. The first two letters in the file header, PK, confirm this is the case. But what about the compressed file inside? Well, the compressed file inside is an executable file. If I didn't already know that the message was a fraud, this would seal its fate. If I would run this file, I know what it would do, more or less. It would attempt to install malware on my computer. So instead, I deleted the file. And, by the way, that's exactly what you should do if you receive an unexpected message that claims the package you never sent couldn't be delivered to someone you don't know. One of our cats died this week. Actually, he was euthanized. He had been diagnosed a couple of weeks ago with feline infectious peritonitis. Thin before, now he was clearly failing. One eye had filled with blood, the other was starting to... He ate just a little, slept a lot, so it was time. The cat, Hermes, was one of my older daughter's four cats currently living here with us with our other three cats. He had adopted my wife and was her constant companion. But now we could give him only one thing, and that one thing was a good death. Hold the cat thought for a moment. When I'm at the gym, I've been listening to an audiobook called My Stroke of Insight by Jill Bolte-Taylor, brain scientist who survived a very severe stroke. In the early chapters, she explained a bit of brain anatomy and made the case that we are not thinking animals with feelings, but feeling animals who think. In that regard, I think we're a lot closer to cats and dogs than we might like to believe. I have a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website to a brief talk that Jill Bolte-Taylor gave about her stroke. It's only about 10 minutes long. But to get back to cats, cats too are feeling beings. They may not think At least, they may not think the way we like to think that we think, but cats do understand that something has changed. Some of them this week have become increasingly needy, wanting to sit with a human. This will pass, as it has when we've seen it with other cats following the death of another member of the herd. These two themes, cats' emotional responses and recovering from a stroke, coincide in surprising ways. Having survived a stroke that destroyed or damaged much of her brain's left hemisphere, which controls logic, speech, and linear thought, and having taught herself to recover her life primarily using the right hemisphere, which is mainly pictures, Jill Taylor makes a strong case for allowing our left brain to tell our right brain how we will respond to the world. This case is stronger in the book and the audiobook than on the video that I've linked to from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Taylor says she had the luxury of relearning nearly everything, and says that she consciously chose to eliminate anger and other negative emotions. This has nothing to do with cats, but everything to do with the way we live our lives. Or maybe it does have something to do with cats. Cats can be ferocious one instant when the fight-flight response kicks in, but they can be relaxed and purring just moments later. So maybe cats can't think the way we think humans think, but maybe they're smarter than humans. Or, at least, intelligent in a different way. Dogs, too, by the way. I just have more experience with cats. In short circuits, if you have a Mac and you use all of Microsoft Office 2008's components, your email application is called Entourage. In the next version of Office for the Mac, Entourage will be gone. In its place will be a Mac version of Outlook. The advantage of the change, according to Microsoft, is that the same email and organization application will run on both platforms. When will this happen? No date has yet been announced, but the next Windows version of Office will be Office 2010. It will ship next year. Typically, the Mac version of the suite ships a year later. For example, Office 2007 for Windows, Office 2008 for the Mac. So if that holds true, expect it in 2011. This week, Microsoft released a new version of Entourage that does a better job of syncing tasks, notes, and categories with other applications. This is essentially an interim step between the old way of doing things and the new way. One possible but unlikely roadblock might be a court ruling this week in which a judge banned Microsoft from selling Microsoft Word, an important component of Office, This was the result of a patent violation suit. Microsoft has 60 days to appeal the decision, and there will be a settlement of some sort, of course, no doubt there. Office is simply too important to Microsoft's fiscal well-being. Why Texas, you might ask? Microsoft is, of course, in Redmond, Washington. The Canadian company that filed suit against Microsoft claiming patent infringement is headquartered in Toronto. The suit might have been filed in a Michigan or Ohio federal district court. Both of those are close to Toronto. Or it could have been filed in Washington, Microsoft's home state. Instead, I4I selected the federal district court at 211 West Ferguson Street in Tyler, Texas. Tyler, bustling metropolis, about 85,000 people, 100 miles southeast of Dallas. Maybe I4I selected that venue because of the pleasant East Texas summer climate. Or maybe there was another reason. The U.S. District Court for the Eastern Division of Texas is well known as a place where small companies can file large lawsuits against big companies and win. In addition to Microsoft, companies such as Apple and Sony have been dragged into court in this district and have lost. Judge Leonard Davis didn't disappoint. Judge Davis ordered Microsoft to stop selling and supporting Microsoft Word. Specifically, this ruling prohibits Microsoft from selling any, and I quote, infringing and future Word products that have the capability of opening an XML, docx, or docm file, an XML file, containing custom XML, close quote. It applies to both Word 2003 and Word 2007. I4I might want to settle quickly with Microsoft, though, because the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office issued a patent to Microsoft earlier this month for a word processing document stored in a single XML file that may be manipulated by applications that understand XML. That could blow I4I's case right out of court. More than 400 copyright, patent, and trademark cases were filed in U.S. District Court in eastern Texas in 2007. How does that compare to other districts? The U.S. District Court in eastern Texas is a relatively small court. So let's take a look at, oh, say, U.S. District Courts, all of them, in New York State. Fewer than 800 cases were brought there in 2007. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.